You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. But welcome, welcome to the Shore. Uh, it's great to have every one of you. There's a couple, uh, as we knew, as we want to introduce ourselves to them too afterwards. And on that note, I've already talked about prayer. We want to be praying for one another more regularly. There's also something that I kind of started uh, randomly uh, at the 915, and I actually want to introduce it to all of us, is that I've just said 531. And so that we might actually shake five hands have three more intimate conversations with one another to get to know one another, and then one coffee through the week. And so kind of a 5-3-1 with one another as we get to build community here at the Shore Church. And so I want to encourage us all to do that. Another thing is you may have received, if you're on Signal, uh, you may received a text message from me. Um, we have a community, a church group chat on signal and there's going to be one specifically there's one specifically for the men there's one for the ladies and there's also one now for the whole church where i can send messages to uh to you uh, to for and we're going to throw on prayer requests and i'm going to throw on prayer requests and whatnot through the weeks uh, that we can be thinking through uh for the week and maybe even some kind of tidbits for maybe what i'm studying for the sunday before but uh to join on that just download the signal app and we can join on to that group and it's a great way to connect with the church for me anyways to to share with you one thing that specific group chat will only be me posting so I've uh, and apparently you can now emoji on that so we'll just keep the emojis to uh, a very low minimum so it doesn't blow up your phone but I just wanted to make sure that that is out there as well so if you don't have that please join in that group download that app and let me know Uh, so we can add you to that group and so you don't miss out on any information and just the life of the body of the church. All right. Welcome. We're into Hebrews. Again, uh, we're going to be into Hebrews for quite some time yet, but Hebrews chapter 6. We're finishing off chapter 6 this morning. So if you would rise with me and let's read chapter 6, verses 13 through 20, and then we'll pray and then jump into this amazing text. So this says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of God. Amen. All right, let's pray one more time, then you can grab a seat. Uh, Jesus, I thank you so much for this word. I thank you for the encouragement. I thank you for the things that have already taken place here as a body, that we get to pray for one another those before you in faith that you are the 
the great I am, that you are the promise keeper, the covenant keeper. And so help us, Lord, be faithful in the waiting. Help us be faithful in the pursuit. Help us be faithful to your perfect word. And so I just pray, Lord, that as we learn and glean from this very encouraging text this morning, that we will uh, walk out praising your name, trusting in your promises. And I pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Well, you can grab a seat. Unless you want to stand the rest of the time. That won't bother me. Uh, But it's great to have you again. Last week, if you were here, Ryan did a fantastic job. Amen. From preaching through chapter 6, 9 through 12, and talking and reassuring us of our salvation through that text. And at the end of that verse, in verse 12 anyways, there's this really sweet line, and that's where it connects actually to our passage this morning. So look, look at verse 12 again. It says this, so that you may not be sluggish. So all the things in verses 9 through 12, and also even before that, so that you may not be sluggish, But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And this is our connecting point. Because in our verse, in verse 13, it starts out for when God made a promise. And so it goes into these promises that these faithful ones before us were not being sluggish, but actually through faith and patience inherited the promises. So our text reminds us of the promise given to Abraham. He was patient and had faith and that these promises would come to be. Like they're going to happen. He had faith that these promises would take place. Further, these promises were secured by an oath we see in our text. And when these promises are fulfilled, we have unmeasurable hope. Unmeasurable hope. So that's our outline for this morning. Promise, oath, hope. And we'll walk through the text together of Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 20 here this morning. So the first one, promise. Let's read through this 13 through 15 again, and then we'll unpack this a little bit. So it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Now this promise is referenced back to Genesis 22, but actually starts back into Genesis 12. Like, and this is something for all of us to know as followers of Jesus. When you hear Abraham name. Think Genesis 12, because this is where the Abrahamic covenant begins to take place. And so I'm going to take you through it so that we all know we're all on the same page, just a really quick version through Abraham's life, because this whole text is really showing Abraham. It's showing this man of faith, his waiting and his, his faithful waiting that he obtained this amazing promise from the Lord. And this promise is for us as well. So Abraham, as you know, is an important character in Scripture. And the author of Hebrews is reminding this Hebrew church to not forget it. And so I want to take us through this really quickly. So looking back to Genesis 12, so really right in the beginning of your Bibles, in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, 
This is his name later is changed to Abraham. But the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, there's so much in this that we can unpack. I don't want to preach this text, but I'm really tempted to. Uh, But there's this call on Abraham that is massive to leave everything that you know. And I will show you where you go. And in verse 2, it says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, there's so much in here that we need to understand, but this is the beginning of this amazing God speaking into Abraham's life. Now, this is, this is something to note just really quickly, but, but Abraham, Shem, one of, one of Noah's sons, going way back even further, Shem lived past Abraham's birth. So Shem, one of Noah's sons, lived on the earth still at that day when Abraham was in existence. So we don't know if there was a transfer of that story of walking on the ark, seeing the animals, feeding the animals, seeing this amazing flood take place, and then this story passed on to Abraham. And now Abraham walking in that same voice of God speaking to him. And he's coming to him and goes, I'm going to bless you. This enormous blessing. But if you know the story, well, Abraham has no child yet. And so when we flip through this story, you'll see actually at the end of chapter 14, this man Melchizedek, which we've been starting to hear about. And we'll cover that next week when the ladies are partying uh, at their retreat. It's going to be like me and seven people. It's going to be great. Me and seven guys, right? All the guys, don't miss next week. Uh, ladies, uh, have an awesome time at the fall of the, of the retreat. But here in chapter 14, we hear about Melchizedek, this character that we keep seeing in already Hebrews chapter 5 and also in chapter 6. But here, we'll bounce over that. But in chapter 15, we get a little bit more about this Abrahamic covenant and if you read verses 1 through 3 with me, it says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he said, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Now there's, again, a ton in here, but the beauty of Abraham is he recognizes this is the God of all things, the sovereign, in-control God, even to the point of the womb. And I mention this all quite often when I used to teach uh, marriage prep classes, walking with newly new couples, having this foreshadow and vision that I'm going to have all these children, but yet it is God who opens and closes the womb. And this is the sovereign hand of God here that Abraham is recognizing that he is the one that is in control. And God is saying, I am going to bless you with all these offspring. And so Abraham is confused at this. 
If you jump ahead to verse 8 of that same chapter, in verse, or chapter 15, it says this, But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So he's still confused at this point. And then God said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Now, this sounds crazy, but what took place is this is how covenants were made back in the day. They would split an animal, and then you would walk in between the animal saying, if I break this covenant that before you, let me be like this animal. Now, the cool part is that Abraham never walked through this split carcasses. God did. And if you keep reading the story, you'll see it. So let me, let me just keep reading the story. It says, he brought the verse 11. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Probably because of the next verse. And the next verse says this, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Now this is God revealing to Abraham all the way up until the exodus in Israel. Israel slavery to Egypt. And he, go, and he continues on, but I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And the beauty is, when Israel left Egypt, when God did these miraculous things through Moses, Egypt literally gave them all of their possessions as they walked out. So this is a fulfilling of these, these prophecies of God. And in verse 15, it says, As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, here's where that covenant comes in. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces of animal. This is God symbolizing in this smoking pot, in this fire, walking through the split animal pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, again, saying that, Abraham, you will have an offspring. I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. See, there's a lot here, but I want you to notice, and I've tried to emphasize it, that it is God that makes the covenant with Abraham. He's the one. He's the great promise keeper. He's the one that makes great covenant and fulfills it. And it's really important to hold on to this. And, and again, we flip forward again to further this story up until Genesis 22, which our text in Hebrews is referencing. And it's a story familiar to, I'm sure, most of you if you've grown up in the church. But it's the story of Abraham is now his son, Isaac, who was born miraculously to a couple hundred-year-old people. And so now Isaac is born. He's, been, he's grown. Some theologians would say he's around 12 years old. And now, now he's like, God comes to uh, or Abraham and says, I want you to kill your son. 
Now, I don't know what would go through Abraham's mind at that point, thinking back on the promises that we read back in chapter 12 and chapter 15. Like, what would, how, I don't understand what you're saying, Lord. I understand that you are the covenant-keeping God, and I'm sure that the evil one was putting that temptation in his mind to go, how is God, God it must be lying to you about this promise. And we see this in chapter 22. Over and over again, we see this amazing God and the foreshadow of the coming promise that we see in the Hebrews chapter 6. Now, Isaac was 12-ish, and he was to carry the wood of the sacrifice up the mountain. So he's put all the bundles of wood, and he's carrying, he's asking questions to his father, like, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham's, don't worry, the Lord will provide all knowing that he was going to be the sacrifice. And Abraham builds the altar and lays the wood on the altar, then binds his son and places him on the wood and raises the knife about to slay his son the whole time thinking God must be raising him from the dead. And we know that, not here in Genesis 22, we know what Abraham's thinking because of Hebrews chapter 11. So if we skip ahead to Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, by faith, Abraham, in verses 17 to 19, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son. So he's in the act about to slay his son. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered, this is where we get the thoughts of Abraham, he considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So again, Isaac carried the wood up the hill, bound to that wood, and was about to be slain. When the Lord faithfully intervenes. See, God intervened because Abraham was going to be faithfully, was going to faithfully fulfill what God had called him to do. And I want you to, I want to show you that in this amazing chapter. So if we read really quickly, chapter 22 of Genesis 12 through 18, you can see the story. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. What an amazing message that is. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham patiently in faith waited upon the Lord 
and obtained the promise. Now I want to show this is such an important story of Scripture. It's actually, Paul mentions it in the book of Romans. So if you flip to Romans through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, get your Acts because the Romans are coming. That's a good way to remember those. In Romans chapter 4, verse 13, it says this, For the promise to Abraham, going back to Genesis 22, for the promise of Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, did not come through the works of man, but through the righteousness of faith. And it's really important to understand this, that Abraham's obedience, his righteousness, was birthed out of his faith in this God speaking to him. It is by faith alone that Abraham was given righteousness, and this righteousness was fully complete, fully complete at the cross. Now this story connects to Jesus in amazing ways. So you see the promise that would have would, that would save Isaac, Abraham, and you and I was not a ram caught in a thicket, but was actually another son. Another son that would carry wood up a mountain. Another son that would be bound to a piece of wood. And another son that would actually not climb off that wood, but actually stay on it and be sacrificed for you and I. And we know that to be Jesus. The one that went to the mount to pay for the penalty and sin that we all have committed. This is the foreshadow. This is the great promise in our text of Hebrews chapter 6. This is the promise that, that that writer of Hebrews is trying to make aware to the church. Church, don't miss this. Look at Abraham. Don't forget Abraham. This is the promise that is fulfilled 30 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead. This is the great I am. This is the promise that we cannot miss. He's the one. He's the son that came to die for us. Not Isaac, not some ram, but the Lamb of God. This is Jesus. So I'm excited because it's Jesus. That when I read this Hebrews 6 text and I see this and I'm like, oh my goodness, the promise is Jesus. And the author is awakening us to this amazing, amazing text of Scripture. This amazing story that tells the story of God over and over and again. And the Hebrew author is just going, do you see it now? All the way back to Abraham. Do you see the promise is being fulfilled? Let's faithfully wait for it. Let's be patient in our suffering, in our hurt. Just like we prayed earlier. Let's be faithful. God is faithful. So He is worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our trust. See, Abraham and Isaac are mere shadows of the greater promise. And it is the promise of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The Son that took our place on that altar that we might be saved. So now look at the oath 
verse 16 and 17 as we continue through this Hebrews text. It says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly, when God decided to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So what is this oath? Well, going back for a moment to 13 through 15, we see Abraham as one of the characters mentioned. But he's not the main character. He's mentioned that he is the one that received the promise. So the promise giver is actually greater. And the promise giver is God in that text. For it is God that gives the promise to Abraham. He is the one that foretells the future. He is the one that has the plan. He is the sovereign God of the universe, knows exactly what is to take place, even to the point, I'm going to warn you, in a few hundred years, your offspring that I've promised you that you don't even have yet are going to go into slavery for 400 years, and then I'm going to miraculously save them through all kinds of different events that no one can deny. That's who I am. I'm the man that you have heard about. I'm the God that you have heard about that flooded the earth. Have faith in me, Abraham. So God was the one giving the promise to Abraham. So the one giving, like I said, giving the promise in our text is far greater. In fact, God made the promise, and because there is no one greater than him, he swore by himself that this promise would be fulfilled. And what better convincing promise is that when God promises something? The one that cannot lie. And this is where I kind of pause and kind of break and go, oh my goodness, if you just studied through the Bible and looked at vows or promises or oaths, it's a hard one to say, oaths, uh, you'll see actually God takes them incredibly seriously. Like incredibly seriously. Some, there's some promises and oaths in the Scripture that are a little bit insane as you read through. That's why I love the honesty of the Scripture. But God calls you out in it if you make a promise that He expects you to fulfill it. One of the more popular vows or promises, uh, in this case a vow we know about, is the vow of marriage. And it's one that is not to be broken. We see this in Matthew 19, verse 6, where it says, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That means you as a spouse are not to separate. Let not man do any part in the separation of this. See, the covenant or vow of marriage is a big deal, and this is a vow that is not to be broken. Now, there's more to be said about those things. I I think I've preached a sermon on 1 Corinthians 7 that you can go back and look in the archives and, and find there are some of those things, but we won't get into them here. But what I'm saying is that oaths, vows are to be taken seriously even if you joke about them. Even if you joke about them. Because of the seriousness of an oath, Jesus actually instructed his disciples not to make them. And we see this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 33-37. It says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. That's a big deal. Perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I, Jesus, say to you, Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, 
for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, or tell yourself not to lose it. Doesn't say that part. All right? You have no idea what's going to happen five seconds from now. So what are you doing making an oath? You have no idea. So let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil or in some versions says the evil one. It's from Satan. This idea that you have some form of control. See, even in our culture, in the court of law, when testifying, you would have to place your hand on the Bible and swear, I promise to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Swearing on the Bible something far greater than who you are, you better then tell that truth. See, I'm saying all of this because in our text, we have God swearing on Himself. So Jesus is telling us not to swear, but yet God here in our text is swearing on Himself. So if an oath or a promise or a vow is that incredibly important, that you better fulfill this, the one person that can swear, that can covenant, that can make an oath, is God Himself, because it is impossible for Him, as we see in our text, to lie. So when God makes an oath or a promise or swears on something, He swears on Himself, which there is no one greater, which is to us now, looking back on it, the author is trying to awaken us to the fact that when God is saying something, it will take place. It is a promise that you can go to the bank on. No one is greater than God. So when we put the seriousness of an oath, and in our text in verse 16, saying that an oath is final for confirmation, the finality and assurance of our faith in Jesus is the coming promise. Shows more convincingly to us as heirs that it is a greater hope that we actually have. It's a greater hope. And it also shows more convincingly the unchangeable character and purpose of God for the salvation of His people. Because God's swearing on Himself and then 2,000 years ago, that promise being fulfilled in Jesus as the Savior of the world, not a ram caught in a thicket, but God incarnate walking towards death to save us. What an amazing promise. That's why we have this on the, the cross on the stage to remind us of the amazing promise and oath that God has made for us. I am going to come to save the world. If you believe and trust in me, you will be saved. These are promises that we need to hold on to. See, this is the great, greatest confirmation that God does not break an oath, a promise, a covenant. He is cosmic, prophetic, Levitical, angelic in His supremacy as we learned back in Hebrews chapter 1. He is over all things. He is the exact imprint of God. Jesus is the culmination of all the promises made in the Old Testament. It is Him. There's been no greater promise, no greater oath than the coming of Jesus to be our sacrificial lamb and priest. So what's shocking is that this church is only 30 years removed from Jesus' resurrection. 30 years removed. 
And they are battling in their flesh. Battling to go back to ceremony, to ritual, rather than holding into the promise of Jesus Christ. And the crazy thing is, the same battle goes for us today, doesn't it? Every day we battle to believe upon the promises of Jesus, that He is our greater hope, that He's our greater promise, so much so that we'll choose something so insignificant over the worship of Him. And we'll crave it. May we, as a body, listen to the warnings of this amazing letter to not drift, as we saw in chapter 2, but pay attention to the one speaking who is Jesus. Our final point is hope. In verse 18 through 20, it says this, so that by two unchangeable things, God's promises and oaths, unchangeable, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. See, our hope is Jesus. Our hope in Jesus is secure by faith. Like Abraham before us, he believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Or like Noah, building an ark a hundred years prior the flood, had faith that God was telling the truth, stood in faith before even the greatest storm this world has ever seen. David stood in faith before Goliath, and you, standing in faith in the waters of baptism, stand there, believing and proclaiming in the, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is us standing in faith for the promise that has been proclaimed before us all the way until death, even if suffering and pain come, I stand in faith in the promises that one day I will obtain eternal life with Him. See, we now through faith believe upon Jesus for salvation, the one who entered into the Holy of Holies. That's what this is referencing to. This hope that we have is entering into the Holy of Holies where only the priest, the high priest, but we learned a couple chapters ago that Jesus is the great high priest and he enters not into a man-made temple. He enters into the actual temple in the heavenlies and enters in on our account, intercedes on our account, and dies for us. This is our supreme Levitical priest and was slain for us so that we might live. And like on the mountain with Abraham and Isaac, obedience through faith in God is paramount. It's paramount. See, God supplied the sacrifice for Abraham, having mercy on Isaac. And God also, in a far greater way, has had mercy on you and I and supplied Jesus as the sacrifice so that we would not have to die so that we might live by faith in Him, that we might climb off the altar as Isaac climbed off that wood and Jesus replaced Him. Jesus replaced Himself for us. This is our hope. 
Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our promise, our way of entry into the eternal family of God. Jesus is the oath, the final confirmation that has been sworn by. Jesus is our sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, the living sacrifice that entered where no man could enter and fulfilled what no man could fulfill that he might become the eternal great high priest that intercedes for all those who put their faith and trust in him. It is Jesus who gives us rest. It is Jesus who is faithful. It is Jesus who was made lower than the angels and crowned with glory and honor. It is Jesus by way of his suffering of death that he might taste death for everyone. It is Jesus that we no longer drift but rather pay attention to. It is Jesus who has supremacy over all things. We, friends, have been saved by Jesus. Amen? We've been saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. So again, this exhortation to believe upon Jesus begs the question. It begs the question, what have you put your faith in that is outside of Jesus for your hope, for the promises, for your life? What have you put in place of Jesus that you need to surrender to today? It is Jesus. He is our hope. That's it. Not in your work, not in your spouse, not in your kids, not in in anything, not in your home, not in this country, not in anything around you. The hope that you have is Jesus and Jesus alone. So how, how does that make us live then? If we actually truly believe that, friends, how would our life change? This is the exhortation to the church of Hebrews. It's a sweet exhortation. Look back at Abraham, friends. Look at how he faithfully waited patiently for the promises that he was to inherit. Through his son that he was to kill. And through God who replaced that son with a lamb. And that Lamb is Jesus, the very hope that we have that entered into the Holy of Holies to intercede for us. See, Romans 6, verse 23 is one of my favorite verses. It says, for the wages of your sin is death. That's what we deserve. The wages of my sin is to die. That's what I deserve. But the free gift of Jesus... The free gift of God is through Jesus, through the eternal life of Jesus Christ. He is my hope. He is your hope as well. So my challenge to you is confess Him today. There is no greater hope to put your hope in. Everything else will fail you. Everything. Jesus is your only hope. Have you believed upon Jesus for salvation? Have you believed upon His promises, His oath, and His hope? Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank You so much for all that You have done for us. I thank You for the promises that You've been proclaiming to us as a, as a stubborn people all the way back to creation. And I pray, Lord, that that we will begin to live out through faith in You the promises 
to go and to evangelize and to make disciples of all nations, to live in community as faithful followers, praying for one another, caring for one another, laughing with one another in, in amazing joy of the promises that you have given to us through even our suffering and our pain. That we be faithful. That we will honor you with our lives, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our soul. That we will love you with everything that we got and that we will do the same to those around us. That we will be image bearers of you, of that amazing love. So help us, Lord, in this today and the weeks to come. That we will rest in your faithful promises. Jesus Christ.